support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. photography so what age did you find photography and for what reason oh so i'm i'm a very i'm a very late adopter in fact because if you kind of if you go back to school and 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 all the way through my education i um i hated art i hated anything to do with visual artistry um i i considered myself well i still am a, a horrible painter and drawer I was terrible at sculpture and, and I, and I used to honestly say, and this is no joke. I used to say I was kind of somehow kind of allergic to, to, to the art school and the art rooms. I was just like, this is not my place. I used to do a huge amount of acting instead. And, and, and I very strongly believed that I was not a visual person that, that kind of, I, that I was an artistic person, but not someone that, uh, that, that saw the world in a visual way. I was much more someone that kind of used language and, 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 and performance to kind of express myself. And that was something that continued. I went into radio journalism, um, and, uh, which spoke very neatly to the kind of the acting side, because obviously there's a sort of performance element there. And, and through all of that, I, 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 I did a really good job of, of reporting lots of very interesting things and not taking any photos of any of it. Um, and then I, uh, went to uh to congo as the correspondent for for reuters and that was probably where my well, that was where my love of photography really started and that was when i was about sort of 29 30 and what happened was that i got there and i and, and i found myself the, the proud sort of temporary owner of thousands of dollars worth or thousands of pounds worth of, 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 mm-hmm. uh, of computer gear, uh, of, uh, camera gear, basically a, uh, a sort of t- a pair of, um, Canon five D's and a kind of a plethora of lenses and all the rest of it, um, which was supposed to be the sort of the kit for the correspondent to take and, and, and create these fantastic images. And I, and I hated those cameras. I hated them so much because I didn't understand how they worked. They were incredibly heavy. Um, I, 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 I could occasionally coax a wonderful photo out of them, which made me realize that they were brilliant cameras but I could only do it very occasionally. And there was actually one incredibly embarrassing point where for about two weeks, I could only get the camera to take blank pictures. And I didn't know what I'd done to it, to make it do that. And I eventually had to call um, our sort of videographer and say, look, please, can you press some buttons and make it start taking proper photos again? But I really resented it. So I kind of, I pushed that away. And I went more and more out into the field in, in, in Congo. And Congo is probably one of the most visually striking places, or certainly one of the most visually striking places I've ever visited. And I also, as a journalist, had this extraordinary access to stories, to people, to places. Um, and again, I was, I was really not taking photos. And, and, and this started to bother me more and more. Um, so eventually, I picked up a um, one of those little... Fuji X10s. I don't know whether you remember them. One of the ones yeah, with the yeah, sort yeah. of small sensors, like kind of the start of the kind of the X line. And I picked up that camera and I just sort of had it then with me for the rest of the time that I was in Congo. And I loved the fact that it was sort of portable and pocketable. And then, and that I was able to just kind of document stuff as it was happening to me, that it didn't become, need to become a kind of a huge, um, kind of disruption from my job, which was obviously to write, 
um, and to kind of to, to, to report through other means. Um, but then being in this place, which had extraordinary um, visual power, and then also being um, alongside some really, really incredibly talented uh, photojournalist, I, I kind of feel like it almost was a process of osmosis that I I probably learned far more about things like composition, um, things about how to attempt to sort of kind of convey emotion and, and, and storytelling and narrative in pictures than I ever realized. And, and, and then I was able to kind of to, to create some images that, um, that I was really pleased with and that I got kind of a real buzz from. And I think so that kind of, that sowed the seeds. And then I sort of, you know, as you do, you kind of upgrade your gear and all the rest of it. And I, and I started taking more and more photos, but for a long time, it was kind of a, a side, um, show to, to my journalistic work. And then in, then one of the reasons that it became more than a sideshow was that, um, it also became, I, I had kind of issues uh, around anxiety and, and and stress, and particularly after Congo, a lot of a lot of kind of uh, mental issues that that I was struggling to deal with. And I actually then found photography became a very useful tool um, for helping me um, to sort of to, to manage some of that. Um, and then it's become a more and more central part of of who I am and 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 sort of my way of expressing my artistry, I suppose. I mean, you've mentioned Congo there, and you're now based in Sweden, originally from England. I've read that you've also lived in Madagascar and Turkey. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. Um, how does, obviously, there's going to be massive cultural differences between all of those places. I mm. think even within those places, if you were to just move around, you would see cultural differences. But on a, on a much more macro level, there's obviously going to be huge cultural differences between England, Turkey, Madagascar, Congo, Sweden, and so on. Um, how does that inform your photography? Um, I think what I would say is that one, one of the things that I was very lucky to be able to do in all of those places was to be able to sort of, to see life in the raw. And, and that was, you know, that was obviously a, a kind of a central part of my job when I was there, you know, as a journalist, you're expected to sort of, to look at realities and, and to report on, 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 the, the day to day and, and, and also how the kind of the extraordinary, um, in the kind of the events that you witness, um, impacts on the ordinary. Um, so I would say like across everywhere that I've reported, then it's been very much, um, that I've tried to bring that sentiment and that sensibility onwards with my photography, which is to try and kind of capture kind of the rawness of life and, and, and kind of the everydayness and, and act as a sort of, for it to be a form of reportage. Um, then, you know, in terms of how, uh, you approach photography in different countries, then, you know, I think what I would say is that it, um, I think I'm very conscious of how it, whatever people say, I personally think that, you know, depending on where you are, um, you have to have somewhat different approaches to your photography if you're going to be successful dependent on, on, on where you are. Um, so for example, in Madagascar, whilst, look, to be honest, I did not take a great deal of uh, photographs in Madagascar, it was a relatively easy place to operate as a photographer. Um, you got a lot of leeway as a, um, as a foreigner to be able to, 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 to kind of to move around and, and to, uh, to witness, to, to snap away. Um, and then you would go to somewhere like DR Congo, where parts of the country were relatively easy to operate as a, as a photographer, although, you know, obviously with some fairly significant risks attached. Um, but then Kinshasa, the capital, which is where I was based. So in, in a bit of history on Congo, it was, um, it was illegal 
to take for photographs in public under um, the the dictatorship of, of Mobutu for, for for many many years. And so, the Congolese relationship to photography is is a very very complex and often quite hostile one. And certainly in the west of the country, and and, and certainly in Kinshasa, to the point where I mean, if you look out, if you kind of have a look on the web, there's very little street photography. Uh, of Kinshasa because you can't take it because if you try and take street photos in Kinshasa you will be attacked um, and that happened right. to me where I uh, was out with my with my assistant who is uh, who is a Congolese and he is um, he well he wasn't a Kinwa but he he knew all of the people he knew the street in Kinwa better than anybody fantastic contact and and you know part of his job was to sort of keep me kind of safe and, and keep me kind of you know being able to operate and we were just trying to go out and take some pretty basic street shots there um not focusing on any individual people fairly wide angle and not you know not in any of this kind of intrusive street photography that you know you see from any number of other places and to a degree street photography that i've i've done myself and within about 30 seconds of doing this, we had maybe three or four people around us. Within about a minute and a half of doing this, we had maybe 20 people around us. And then a couple of people pretending to be policemen saying, where's your authorization? Because you're supposed to, well, it's certainly tradition, you were supposed to have a document saying you had sort of special authorization from the government to be able to take photos. Uh, that wasn't the case anymore. But, you know, people were still kind of, you know, that was their reality. And that also, you know, could they try and shake me down for money? Um, and within about <laughs> yeah. maybe three or four minutes, we were surrounded by 40 or 50 people. And it started off kind of, uh, what would I say, kind of aggressively curious. And then it quick, quite quickly just became aggressive. And people saying, you're a spy, you're a this or that. And, you know, we ended up basically having to back and eventually kind of run for it and jump in our car and get out of there. Um, you know, so it was, it was a really, really complex place to, to take photos. Um, and so that I think, uh, was really interesting because it meant that, you know, the only way you could take candid photos in, in Kinshasa really was either to do it very sneakily. And that was something that I certainly at the time would not have had the confidence to do, or that you did it once you'd built relationships with people. And, and, um, and I did that through sort of my Congolese kind of friends and contacts who were able to sort of help me build relationships with people so that you could then take photos of them. Um, so then coming to places like Turkey and, and Sweden, which are, you know, I would sort say, you know, more um, Western, kind of more from closer to what you would expect in kind of Europe or the, or the USA, then it's, it's felt easier to take photos in, in public and to take candid photos in public because it, you know, it's, it, you're not faced with that same sort of kind of bureaucratic and, and, and kind of cultural hostility that I, I faced in Congo. Um, but then on the flip side, to be honest, has anyone anywhere inspired me visually as much as Congo? No. So, <laughs> you know, it's the place I would love to go back to and, 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 and take photographs with the confidence that I have now. And, and the fact that I'm that much more streetwise, I guess, in the way I go about my photography, I'm, I'm more comfortable, comfortable in my identity or my role as a photographer than I ever was there. So I'd love to go back there and see whether I could kind of, you know, do a better job of trying to represent this, you know, this extraordinary kind of visual country and visual culture. I mean, to take a little bit of a, of a turn on this, um, something I'm noticing more and more, um, especially with the sort of um, democratization of people being more noticeable through social media is that terminology is becoming quite wishy-washy and, um, people are labeling things with maybe not the right label for what they actually are. Uh, one of these things is journalism and street photography seem to become quite intertwined and people who are just out taking street photos are calling themselves photojournalists. 
what's the what's the real difference between photojournalism and street photography? Oh, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy question. Um, I'm not going to lie; that's a super loaded question. I do apologize. Yeah, and I, I, I well, I apologize in advance if I fall into any large traps. Um, but um, I would say, you know, no, I think that photojournalism um, tends to broadly deal with events. Um, so, kind of events that have some sort of newsworthy quality to them, uh, which is not to say that they're always of politicians or always of big actors or of wars or of, 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 of earthquakes. They can be of real life, but that real life is always depicted in relation to a newsworthy event. And I suspect, you know, we're going to see um, a huge wave of that in the post kind of pandemic world with the kind of if, if economies collapse as much as people fear they will then there's going to be a huge amount of this sort of reportage of real lives candid real lives which will look very much like kind of possibly street photography uh, but actually kind of plays into that kind of much bigger narrative of um of kind of economic depression uh poverty loss of employment those sorts of things so i think you could probably say that that is where um Broadly speaking, you could kind of, that's how I would define photojournalism. Um, street photography, I think um, it is fair to say, has taken a huge amount uh, stylistically and in terms of approach from uh, photojournalism, documentary, reportage, those sorts of approaches to journalism, and then applied it to the everyday life, the mundane life that, that, that doesn't necessarily have a wider narrative attached to it. Um, and uh, which is no, and again, look, I think it's really like these definitions are blurred. So, you know, at one end you, you, you have someone who will be reporting absolutely hard news, you know, something like the black lives Dem matter demonstration or something like that, that really, you know, it's something that's going to appear, that picture is going to appear on the front page of a newspaper the next day. Um, mm -hmm. but then you could have someone who is, doing some journalistic work very much on the fringes, which is much more about kind of exploring the, maybe the lives of people who go to those demonstrations or the lives of people who oppose them or whatever and, and, and taking photos of them in their living rooms. Uh, you could absolutely argue that they're both still journalism, but they're kind of perhaps different ends of the spectrum. And then the same with sort of street photography where, you know, you might kind of have one street photographer who is, you know, taking pictures of people, you know, dressed, dressed in funny clothing just because it might raise a smile, it might make, make people laugh, and it just captures a, a nice little absurd moment in life, um, all the way through to someone who is trying to document um, some of the social ills that they see around them every day um, through their street photography. And then you're kind of on the borders of reportage or possibly photojournalism. I think it does raise a really interesting question about street photography and then you kind of, which is moral to street photography, which is, you know, one of the big ones has always been, do you take photos of, of, of homeless people, um, for example? Um, it's personally something that I try not to do. Um, but could you argue that because you as an individual are wanting to uh, portray the reality of poverty in the area where you live, even if it is only a reality that you're trying to portray to your small group of Facebook friends or, or, or whatever, you know, do you thus, you know, as it were, have a moral right to take that photo? Um, and this is the kind of the photo I'm talking about where you, you haven't necessarily built up a relationship with the subject or all the rest of it. Do you have the moral right to have that photo? And I think, you know, there is an argument to say, yes, you do, because you are you are bearing witness. And that's yeah. an, an inherent part of 
of photography across the board. And it perhaps plays a more important role in photojournalism than it does in, you know, fine art or product photography. But actually, you know, this idea of bearing witness to a reality in front of the lens is something that we, we, we all buy into. So maybe you do have the right to do that. Um, it's, you know, it's not, a, it, I don't have an absolute answer to it, but I think it raises some really interesting questions. And I think that all of these distinctions are becoming more and more blurred. What I would say though, when it comes to journalism and photojournalism, and this is something that I feel really strongly is that it's very easy to say, okay, you know, we almost don't need journalists anymore. And don't get me wrong, journalists are a long, 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 long way from being perfect. But as a journalist, as a trained journalist, you are brought up you are educated on, you know, things like kind of media law and media ethics. Um, I'm fully aware that some journalists seem to take on board that training rather more than others. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the idea ought to be that, that you are kind of governed um, both, you know, at a professional level, but also as a per- at a personal level by some sort of moral and professional code. Um, and that that is something that we should value in our in the way we get our information, be it visual or non-visual, because you realize or you hopefully can put a degree of trust in the kind of the quality or the veracity or the ethics behind the information you're receiving. Whereas you don't necessarily get that from someone who 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 who, who has none of that background. But then, you know, is that to say that anyone who's not a journalist somehow has nefarious purposes and can't do absolutely incredible, powerful, honest reportage. No, totally not. Of course they can. And as we all know, on the flip side, there are many journalists who behave appallingly. But I think everything's becoming so blurred and I think it it's problematic. Yes. I mean, to, to circle back on the, the homeless issue, I think one of the biggest um, cultural things that we're seeing at the moment, and it's a very bizarre one to kind of, if you pull yourself really far back and look at it um, in a general sense, People that are going on very, very expensive holidays to photograph impoverished people is a really fascinating look into sort of the general psyche of um, more prominent cultures. It's it's a very bizarre one. Oh, you know, and, and there's a sense of there's a sense of entitlement that 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 allows you to feel that you can do that. And I think that that's something that, I mean, I think that that's something that as a as a journalist and as a you know kind of a white Western journalist that's that's something that I've undoubtedly um, been able to, you know, kind of profit from is that sort of sense of entitlement that I can go into, you know, a village in, you know, be it Madagascar, be it DRC, be it kind of rural Turkey and take photos because, because, Hey, I can now um, it isn't, I think as a journalist, hopefully it's not as simple as that because you, you also feel that you are, you know, going back to this idea of bearing witness, you are also trying to tell a story, you are also trying to depict a reality that might, in an ideal world, um, lead to sort of, you know, some sort of positive changes. Um, and but 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 let's be honest, that that's a justification that you very rarely run past the people you're taking photos of or indeed quoting or indeed writing about. Um, you you use that justification to yourself. And you know, damn, I'll get on with doing doing your job now. You know, and as you say, you're now kind of referencing people who go on holiday and take those pictures. Um, would those same people go to the some you know the poorer areas of their own local city and take those photos? I, I somewhat doubt it. Um, right. You know, which then I think you know poses all sorts of questions. Yeah, as you say, and, and with questions that are very topical now. And, and you know, obviously, we're not going to get political, but you know. 
really interesting <laughs> questions about, you know, the sort of like post-colonial society that we live in or live, live in or the post-imperial society that we live in and the, hier- the, the hierarchy on a global scale that we still have. Um, and I think that, you know, more and more people are going to start questioning that and it, which, which I think will, will create challenges for photographers. Um, and, and maybe, you know, both kind of, you know, both rightly and wrongly. Um, I think one of the things that I really feel is that I don't think that you can necessarily, I don't think that there is a, a single moral code that should dictate how you approach your photography, um, whoever you are, whether you are a, a photojournalist, whether you're the most famous photographer in the world, or whether you're, you're someone that, that, that kind of picks up your camera for two weeks um, a year to kind of take pictures on your holidays. I don't think that there is any one way to tell you that, that to, to behave. Um, of course, there's some kind of basic guidelines that I think we'd all get behind, you know, showing respect and, you know, kind of decency and not taking pictures of, of, of children or, you know, whatever. But, you know, we, we could probably come, come to a list of you know, kind of 10 do's or don'ts. But I think like a lot of things in life, I think it's not necessarily the, the kind of, the place that you come to in terms of what you decide is acceptable or not acceptable. What I think is really important is that you do consider the morality of what you're doing. You do consider the, um, the the ethics and and the impact that your photography has on the people you photograph. Um, and that you are able to justify to yourself and to others, they may not agree with you, but you're able to justify to yourself or to others um, why you have taken a photograph, you know, hopefully beyond just saying, because I wanted to get a few likes on Facebook. Um, and that, you know, in a way, that was how I kind of used to approach my, or how I approached my journalism was that kind of, you know, journalism's not rocket science, but it should be morally difficult. Every story yes, you do should yeah. be morally difficult. It should challenge you. It should make you feel a bit uncomfortable. And I feel it's the same with photography. You should feel a bit uncomfortable about your photography because if you're not feeling, if you're, ta- this is if you're taking candid photos. I mean, if you're taking pictures of, of like kind of still life, that's probably not quite as, quite as relevant. But, but if you're taking pictures, candid pictures of people, street photography, you should be feeling a bit uncomfortable about what you're doing. Otherwise, you're probably not thinking hard enough about it. Yeah. I think the non controversial side of that the non-photojournalist side of that is if you're working in any kind of creative form um and you're not feeling a certain degree of self-hatred you're not really pushing yourself far enough out of your technical comfort zone i think that would be the non-moralistic version i think i would totally agree with that i think it's um it's uh, i certainly find with like with uh, with photography it is astonishing how much you can uh, yeah how much time you can spend berating yourself for any number of <laughs> any, any number of things um, but actually i think you know in a way that's one of the joys of photography for me because uh, as i said it was something that i did um to to, to or, or increasingly became something that, that i did to kind of deal with with some sort of kind of mental issues around sort of anxiety and, 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 and kind of obsessive thinking and all the rest of it. Um, and it's not to say that photography hasn't caused me a huge amount of anxiety and, and indeed obsessive thinking, God, just what me researching camera models, but you know what I mean? But, but actually the great thing is it's an awful lot more manageable stress than, you know, am I a good person or did I say something really stupid at that party 10 years ago? Um, and, and so I think that, you know, like it's, it's, um, you know, I think, I know, I think photography, like a lot of things plays for a lot of people into that sort of tortured artistic soul to a degree. Um, and, um, and that's well and good because I think we need these, these releases, a lot of us, um, to kind of, to, to make life a little bit more livable. I think what we're seeing at the moment, um, 
obviously with, as you mentioned, the the protests that are going on, the pandemic, you know, it seems to have been a year that's just finally justified 24-hour news in a sense. Um, culturally speaking, the importance of street photography, it's, it's fascinating because it almost feels like it's... Um, uh, it's not present serving. It's almost like what you document now as a street photographer will start to bear more relevance and have more substance in years to come as opposed to right now. And it feels like at the moment, because we're far too aware of the um, the nostalgia of older things and, and the enjoyment of older things, I think fashion, fashion sense, we're always looking um, backwards in terms of what we've liked. We're always looking at earlier decades that we're not doing a very good job of documenting now because, you know, for a really basic example, cars don't look as good as what they used to look. So people aren't photographing things that have current cars in them. And um, mobile phones are obviously something that a lot of people, especially photographers, get very frustrated at seeing people on their phones. It doesn't make for a very good photo, but it's culturally important to what's happening right now. Is there a danger that we're going to kind of lose the cultural importance by trying to make street photos look too good? I is. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I, I think you've got a really valid point. And I think actually the reason I'm laughing is that I just I kind of have this amazing idea when you look at, and I hold my hand up, I'm completely guilty of this too. I, I love the filmic look. I love that sort of slightly grainy vintage look. But you, you have this image of people kind of in a hundred years time looking at photos from like 2020 London and be like, bloody hell, it looks just like the 1960s did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it didn't really, but um, but no, too. I think you know. I think we are um, we are kind of in the grip of a sort of like fetishizing uh, nostalgia. But then, equally, what I would say is that to a degree, um, that you know, that fetishization of nostalgia um, and how that is represented through our photography will also say something interesting about the society that we are living in today. That we felt the need to do that. Um, but but it is true. I think that. Um, and it's something that I'm kind of trying to explore a lot with my photography at the moment now, um, is this idea of, as you say, kind of, are we trying to make our, our pictures look too good? Um, and straight off, I'd say no, in the sense, I think you should make your pictures look exactly how you want them to look. Um, because I, I, I really strongly believe that it's not for anyone else to decide how you're artistic vision expresses itself. Um, on the flip side, of course, if you kind of go into the wilds of something like Instagram, um, there are certain styles that do very well. Um, and there are certain styles that don't do so well. And if mm -hmm. you go chasing the lights, which again, I'm sure a lot of us have done, and you know, I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, I, I've chased the lights and, and, and stuff in, in the part I probably still do now. Um, you, you, you might start, well, not it might, you start crafting your vision to kind of fit in with some of the kind of the mores, some of the trends, some of the visual trends that we have at the moment. And then, yeah, as you say, everything starts to take this sort of like kind of very unreal sheen. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying to kind of, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to kind of, kick against that a little bit now with some of the stuff I'm doing, actually most of the stuff that, that I haven't posted yet. I'm trying to move a little, a little bit away from that and trying to get kind of to stuff that's a little bit rougher and rawer. Um, but then on the flip side, um, uh, you know, I see a lot of people who kind of, I admire very much for the pursuit of their vision, um, uh, who are taking, you know, these really sort of quite flat, clearly quite unsort of post-processed images um, of street scenes, quite, you know, possibly with not any particular focal point in it. And I kind of go, okay, cool, because I can see that you see something in that. 
um, and in its mundanity. But then the other part of me says, well, it, but it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't, right. it doesn't kind of, it doesn't hit me. Um, it doesn't kind of, and I, you know, certainly one of the things that I've discovered recently is that, you know, color is something that has become more and more important to me as a photographer. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I, I kind of, whilst I can admire a lot of the sort of the murky and kind of moody tones that we get on, um, you know, that you see on Instagram and that indeed I have taken photos in those style. Absolutely. Um, I also kind of, I sort of, I hope that people aren't going to think that that's how our world looked or that's always made, but maybe the point is that's how the, the photographer's world looks. Do you know what I mean? Cause we're all taking photographs of ourselves when we take photos. I think that lots of people, lots of photographers have said that. And maybe, yeah. you know, when you've got all of these murky and moody and, and dark pictures, what it's actually say, saying is that quite a lot of us are feeling murky and, <laughs> murky and moody and dark. And not so many of us are feeling bright and happy and neon and, and splashy and colorful. I, I think this is the first time ever with any, I think with any art form, and I'm absolutely fine with being completely wrong here, but I don't think there's any other more instantly gratifying art form than photography right now even music now as digitized as it is you still have a fairly long period to get an audience whereas a photo can be taken uploaded and immediately consumed in a way that i don't think any other art form has and i think there's a danger of i actually don't think there's a danger i think we're in a terrible terrible grip of people being more conscious of the way their photo is received than of what's in their photo uh, absolutely, hundred percent. And I would, you know, I would challenge, you know, almost. I'm sure there are some kind of very, you know, artistically strong and and and, and focused people, but almost all of us have been guilty of that at different points of 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 being more more focused on the reception than on the subject and what on what we are trying to achieve. Um, and then I, you know, and, and I, and I, I kind of, I feel like I probably fight against that every day um, because I, I use Instagram a lot and I, but one of the main reasons that I use Instagram is actually as a, as a, as a form of curation for myself in the sense mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, I, you know, I've got two young kids, life is very hectic and all the rest of it. And I, and I, I'm, I really want to sort of, to, 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 to narrow and refine, um, my, my photographic vision, um, and, and, and my photographic voice. Um, and I want to be able to see that visually for myself and Instagram provides a very useful tool to do that. Is it lovely when I get lots of likes? Of course it is. And, and, and of course I, you know, I want to build a following and, and also I want to build a community of people that I, you know, I can also learn from them. I've learned huge amounts from there, but, but absolutely this sort of like kind of get it up there, see how many likes you are and then getting crushingly disappointed when actually that photo that you really liked actually got no likes <laughs> at all. And then the photo that you thought was totally rubbish, got loads of likes and you're like, Oh, maybe I should take more rubbish photos. Um, and it's yeah. like kind of, it's really, it's, I think it's really toxic. And then, you know, I mean, I know that people, lots of photographers have talked about this idea that you kind of, you should hold stuff back, sit on it for a while. And, and actually, and actually I've, um, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to do that in the sense that, you know, as, as a kind of, I felt like my photographic style has evolved. I haven't, you know, I think the photographs I'm taking now are massively different from the stuff I've got up on Instagram now, uh, currently, um, because, 
you know, there's probably a sort of three or four or five month lag between what I'm putting up on Instagram and, and the stuff I'm taking now. And I, and I feel that my photography is in a state of quite big flux at the moment. And, um, and part of me thinks, Oh God, I want to get this new stuff up really straight away because I'm really happy with it. Like it, I, I personally at this precise moment feel that I'm taking the best photos I've ever taken. They're probably not that good, but for me on my personal journey, I feel that they're the best I've ever taken. Um, but I, I really feel that I have a, I do have a much better sense of how good or not they are three or four months down the line. And then actually the lovely thing is that then some photos I kind of get lost because I kind of lose track of it. And I kind of want, I rem, and then I come back to it and go, Oh, that's the photo. I was so excited. And I so nearly published it straight away because I was so chuffed about it. And sometimes I look at it and go, look, Oh yeah, cool. I'm still really happy with that photo. And other times I look at it and go, mm, yeah, actually it's not that good. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I think that that's a really has proved to me at least a really important part of my development as a photographer in trying to become a, yeah, become a better photographer, not compared to anybody else, not, you know, not compared to any other photographer on Instagram, some of whom are fantastically talented and probably more talented, talented and, and competent than I would ever be. And, and, you know, others who, you know, I can, in my sort of more egotistical moments think, oh, I'm better than them. But but that doesn't matter. The, ma the point is about kind of your own personal kind of artistic journey. And I think that, you know, rushing to put stuff up is a really bad way to kind of map that journey artistically for yourself. Yeah, I think a really under, underrated skill and a massively overlooked part of sort of um, controlling your own output is just learning to disassociate your emotional connection with a photo and actually look at it from a technical point of view, look at it from, does it convey the message that you want to convey? And, and it's something I didn't learn from photography until I started to become very prolific working in weddings. And I started mm. to understand that I reverse engineered the idea that so in weddings, you can have a bad photo, but because it carries a lot of emotional weight for what the moment was, it becomes a good photo to the people that matter. Yeah. But at the same time, when you reverse engineer that to stuff that doesn't have the same emotional leverage, if you start thinking, oh, well, I really liked photographing this place, or I really like photographing this person, you become way more invested in the experience than you do the photo. And then that's when I think your output drops because you're trying to put out something that will never resonate with people in the same way that you have because they didn't experience the capture. They only experienced the image itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to a degree and particularly in this day and age now where we are all generating, including people who would never in a million years describe themselves as photographers. In fact, those people, some of them are probably generating far more photos than photographers are generating because we've got pictures of cameras on our phones and all the rest of it. We're generating so many bloody photos these days, so many images of, of the world, kind of, kind of good, bad, boring, all the rest of it. And one of the, one of the big things um, that, that I think is really important is, 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 is the, is the weight of any individual image. How much does that, how much significance, as you say, like, does that image have? Um, and, and where does that significance come from? Um, and I think, you know, I, somehow I think that if, if one is to kind of get, you know, personal satisfaction from photography, you have to sort of establish ways to make you know, your individual image that you take, whether it's taken on an iPhone or, you know, kind of the most expensive Leica, how does that, how, how does that photo have some sort of tangibility, some sort of longevity beyond, you know, the click of the shutter button or it pinging up on your, 
on your um, computer screen when you edit it. And I think, you know, but I don't think there's any one way to give that. It could be that it has, you know, personal weight to you when you took the photo that, you know, it was associated to, with such strong images, emotions when you took the photo, then that, that becomes important. It could be, as you say, and I think this is really important because this is about getting over the vanity and the ego of the photographer. It could be about the moment that it captures and the significance for that, the people in that photo. So as you say, quite often the photos that to you are the most mundane, you know, when someone asks you to do a group photo, when you kind of like family have got together and all the rest of it, and you're a bit like, Oh God, all right, do the group photo. And you're like, this is so boring, but actually that's the photo that people put on their walls and look back at and say, Oh my gosh, didn't we have an amazing weekend getting together and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that photo has weight. That photo has way more weight than any kind of artsy fartsy photo that I might take that was sort of kind of like, hanging upside down sort of through a chair leg kind of across a bar. Do you know what I mean? Because it actually <laughs> says something. Um, but then, you know, which is not to say that then we should only be taking snapshots like that. But then the other way, I suppose, that you can give your photos weight if they don't become photos that win awards and, and, and you know, kind of go around the world for whatever reason, be it kind of photojournalism or fine art or whatever. But the other way is that they can be part of your photographic journey um, as in, you know, a way of developing your style. But then that requires you to kind of, kind of, to embark on that journey in, in some sort of meaningful um, and engaged sense. So I think, but, but I think it's really important. And I started shooting film recently for exactly kind of the same reason that lots of people shoot film, which is that I wanted to explore that idea of tangibility um, and, um, you know, having something kind of concrete in my hand. And, and, I, and I both get it and don't get it in the sense that, yes, it's fantastic to, and I d I've developed them all myself because I've been doing it during lockdown and stuff and, and developing film in Sweden is insanely expensive. Um, but like, <laughs> I've, kind of, um, I've been developing myself and there's an, oh, it's an incredible feeling when you see the negatives come out and you kind of look and you're like, cool, I did that. It's also then crushingly disappointing when you realize that an awful lot of your photos are rubbish. Um, and then when they come and then because I'm scanning them and they come up on the computer screen and then I go, Oh God, it's just another digital image on a screen again. So it's sort of, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it is, it's a real battle and it's a real, I think it's a real challenge to kind of, to keep your, how do we keep our photography meaningful? Um, not to anybody else necessarily, but to ourselves, um, in an age where, what is it? Was it, I think I read somewhere that was something like 14 billion photos taken last year. I might be, I might be a couple of billion out, but you know, something insane like that. How do we make our photos matter um, at all to anybody? I mean, um, but at least hopefully they can matter to you. Um, and I think yeah. that that's really important as a kind of as a starting point because if they don't matter to you, then or you, you know, you're you're kind of doomed from the start. As, as much as I wouldn't trust a statistic like that, because I personally have never been surveyed on how many photos that I've taken, I think I would be adding, I would be adding a significant, probably seven figure number to that. It feels okay. like based on, based on some of the work that I've had to do over the last couple of years. Um, one thing I would say is that that should not be a defeatist point for a lot of people where I think it would be. They would be like, well, if there's that many pictures, what's the point? The point is, you shouldn't be looking externally for validation and for your reason to take a photo. Your photo should mean something to you. And then that's perfect. That's all that really matters. Chasing outside attention isn't going to fulfill you because it's a diminishing thing. Because when you get 15 likes on a photo, then you want 30. When you get 30, then you want 50, then you want 100. And, and every time you reach a new number, that, I mean, I personally, I've said this before, I think there's something really genetically biblical about social media, you know, you've got followers, you've got you essentially like you've got a surrogate for disciples. You've got this idea that, um, you have uh, a, a quantifiable measure of how liked someone is. And it's, it's, 
just it's kind of like a bastardization of common sense because you know the 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 best photographer in the world whoever that may be might not be on instagram therefore the yeah. whole idea is completely devoid of any of any common sense you're basically saying well i need to be the best of the people that are capable of seeing me on this app that not everyone's using who choose to follow art forms for it just becomes stupid it's just a it's a chasing your own tail logic and i, I worry when that when that app disappears what people are going to do with their lives if i'm okay to turn a corner though here really quickly yeah, there's a few absolutely. things I, i'm quite fascinated about with you in particular and i, I kind of I'm, i wouldn't normally ask these questions but i actually feel like with you it's going to be an interesting point now i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> well, what does a what does a, a street ph- photograph have to have to impact on you? So you said you curate your your social media so that you you know you're seeing the, the stuff that's going to inspire you. What 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 makes you stop in your tracks when you see a, a street photograph? What does it have to do for you? Okay, oh, oh God, I mean, I'd love to say I've thought about this and I have a perfect answer, but um, I think that for me, what 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 I what I, what I love about street photography, or good for me, what is good street photography, is the is the alchemy of turning something mundane into something extraordinary. Um, it might be beautiful, it might be shocking, uh, it might be striking, but I think it, it it's that it's the it's the the transformational process um, that that is really important to me in an image it's and and it's 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 that transformation that creates the jolt um and creates the sort of the sense of excitement um at the, the, that i think that we glean from from looking at a um from a good from, from from a great photograph and i think you know one of the things that 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 I do think is 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 important, or, or or I think can really add to a um, to a really powerful street photograph is is when you can when you can really kind of palpably sense the intentionality of the mm-hmm. photographer. Um, so, and and that's where I kind of. So I've been kind of very belatedly, and I feel, I feel I feel so embarrassed in a way how kind of unaware I have been until the last couple of years of the kind of extraordinary history of photography and and the richness of everything that's gone before and and the pioneers at different moments. And I've really been kind of like wallowing in that for the last couple of years and 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 feeling like I really should have done it ages ago. Um, but 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 kind of what I found. What I found really fascinating was that kind of I could get that jolt from pictures that in, inherently appeared to share almost nothing um, in terms of their style, in terms of their approach. So, you know, for example, um, okay, so the photographer that probably has given me the biggest jolt of excitement is, is Harry uh, Grier, the Belgian photographer. Um, and he's just like, insane use of color um and 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 kind of these just wonderful moments of of sort of kind of absurd serendipity that come into come together in his photography and and they're often sort of you know it's always kind of almost always about people and 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 it's it's very vivid and very alive and very kind of kind of a freezing of a moment um often with a kind of a, a, a kind of a real sense of energy and movement 
within them, like quite, you know, quite like kind of Alex Webb in that sense. And then, um, then a couple of months ago, I was reading um, Evelyn Hoffer's book on um, New York, and she took all of her pictures with a with a large or most of her pictures with a large format camera. So obviously, you get really very almost none of that sense of movement or sort of you know kind of energy or tension in the same way. Um, and you know, one of her pictures that I remember is like basically just a picture down the tracks from one of the of uh, the empty kind of uh, subway tracks from one of the kind of the uh, the New York subway stations. Um, you know, there's no people in it. Uh, and mm-hmm. for me, most of the time, you know, I, I love my pictures to have people in. There's no, but that same sense of intentionality and that same real sense of trying to portray. Um, the kind of uh, just the sort of that flash of extraordinariness in mundanity and here it was sort of the lines and the curve of the track and all the rest of it they were so strong in both images you know in both or kind of both sets of work that i kind of got a similar jolt of excitement and and so i think that that for me is really important um you know uh, and then of course you know there are technicalities and all the rest of it but i i don't necessarily think a photo does have to be technically perfect to be a great photo but i think it, it it's about understanding what the photographer is trying to show you and also that sort of that transformation that alchemic alchemic sense of something very mundane being turned into something just for a brief split second of of something extraordinary and then capturing that moment and that that moment being kind of existing therefore kind of you know forever and that that i love Did did i answer your did i answer your question at all then you absolutely you absolutely did it was thoroughly answered i enjoyed that in terms of your photography, what what's the most important compositional tool that you use? Um, God, my answer to that would be so different now um, to what it was two or three months ago, um, you know, or six months ago. Um, you know, now um, I would say that um, I, I've, I've started shooting. Well, I've kind of got, kind of dabbled and 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 sort of flat between different. Um, focal lengths but now i'm i'm mainly shooting 28 and 35 and 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 i really kind of feel now that I kind of quite at peace which is not so i won't ever shoot any other focal length but i feel very at peace with those two focal lengths helping me um kind of portray the vision that i want to portray um and so a lot of it now is about trying to capture movement um and um a sense of dynamism so in a way composition has become slightly less um rigid and less important to me um before i was very much kind of much more interested in catching sort of catching sort of crystallized lines and moments and and um you know kind of that it would have this sort of it makes it sound so pompous but you know this kind of like formal grace to it uh, that that was kind of what i was trying to capture um whereas now i think i'm kind of trying to more capture sort of the dynamism of a moment and, um, and, and to capture feel feelings to capture, you know, I want, I want to, I, I want you to kind of, I've been doing a lot of photography just recently through kind of necessity of, you know, kind of Swedish early summer. And there've been a few kind of trips down to the lake and people, you know, chucking themselves off kind of piers into the water and blah, blah, blah. And trying to capture that sense of heat and that sense of energy. And, um, you know, one thing that I've kind of done a lot of is, 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 is kind of, taking pictures of <laughs> taking pictures of my kids basically. Um, but then, you know, trying to capture childhood. Um, and for a long time, um, I guess if you, I looked at my photos, I was very much capturing sort of this sort of almost picture book sense of childhood. 
um, where it would be like, you know, you might be in a beautiful forest and all these sort of wonderful lines of trees and kind of, you know, my kids would be, I would never pose them, but, you know, they'd happen to be on this sort of little kind of rock and, you know, it all kind of, it would all work compositionally um, quite well. And now I'm much more interested in trying to capture the sense of them rushing around like lunatics um, through my photography. Um, and and, I, and, I'm, and I, it feels much more kind of honest to me and it feels much closer to the sort of vision that, you know, and also, yeah, I suppose it goes back to sort of that sort of sense of journalism and reportage, um, which is kind of where I came into photography. So I kind of, I feel, I feel briefly at least quite at peace with what I'm trying to do in terms of, you know, less of a focus on composition, more of a focus on feelings and energy and movement and dynamism. You, um, I get the impression you're not a fan of black and white. No, probably one of the pictures I'm most proud of taking, I converted into black and white. Um, it's actually one I re- very recently put up on my, um, on my Instagram as to, after a conversation with someone about kind of photos that sort of changed your kind of photographic journey because they sort of, you kind of realized what you could achieve. And that was in black and white. And I still look at it and I still, you know, feel, feel proud that I was able to take that photo. But no, I, 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 I do not see the world in black and white. I see the world in color. Um, I, I, which is not to say I don't admire um, kind of black and white photography. I think some of it's absolutely wonderful. But I just, to me, the world is a colorful place. And actually, one of, but one of the things that really frustrated me for a long time in my own photography is that um, I, I see the world as a colorful place. But I think like a lot of people, I've kind of got caught up in this sort of slightly, you know, melancholic, washed out, monochrome sort of style. But also, you know, I think that that's also reflective of how a lot of us kind of maybe feel a little bit in the world as well, this sort of slightly sort of slightly depressive look at the world. And so I was I was shooting colour photography, but not getting any satisfaction from the colours that I was generating, largely because of the way I was, you know, uh, you know, maybe the kind of in-camera settings that I had or, or the way I was post-processing them. And I was a bit like... I was sort of stuck between this world of, you know, almost shooting color in monochrome um, and and feeling that that was not satisfying me. Um, And then, and actually shooting film has been really helpful to me to kind of help me learn more about what I want to try and do with color and, and to, you know, to kind of, to understand how I want to use color to, to express the way I see color, which is I see repetitions of color. I see, um, you know, I, I, I love color play, um, just when I see it in life anyways. And so it kind of, it feels kind of, it feels good to now be able to sort of tie those to what I see to kind of how I'm able to sort of produce the photograph together in a way that I kind of, I feel works. And I feel is not sort of, you know, OTT, it's not just about whacking saturation up. It's about actually having a, a stylistic approach to color. Um, and again, maybe that also, maybe it's been trickier for me to figure that out because I haven't had any sort of formal training in, in how to use color from a kind of any artistic background of no graphic design, no anything. And, and any attempts that people did make to teach me that stuff in the past, I kind of, re, you know, at school and stuff, I rejected it. So I was like, this is boring. I'm not interested in, and now I feel stupid for doing that because I wish I had paid attention because I know it'd probably be a lot easier, have been a lot easier for me to figure out how to use color in my photography because it's so important to me and so important to my photography. Do you set out with, I mean, you seem to me to come across as someone that that's not a big chaos theory fan. Um, do you set out with set ideas in mind of, of what you're going to try and achieve with your camera? Or are you someone that's more just situationally open to whatever might come at you? I'd say, but I'd say both in the sense that I have, um, 
you know, I very much set, um, I very much attempt to see this as a, as an improving exercise photography as a whole as an improving exercise. So I will set out to go and, um, you know, kind of work on certain techniques or work on certain approaches. And, you know, kind of when I've looked at kind of other photographers that, 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 that have influenced me to try and work out how I can kind of bring that into my work and that, you know, that takes practice. That takes lots of taking bad photos to start kind of crafting the sort of kind of vision that, that you want to. So in that sense, yes, I kind of, I do set myself challenges, um, and I try and educate myself and, and, you know, to a degree, um, I, I'm a fairly disorganized person, but to a degree, I've, I've taken a, a relatively sort of educational and formalized approach to trying to teach myself to be a better photographer. Um, and that clearly then informs how I kind of go out and shoot. On the other hand, um, both because of the realities of, of, of my life, you know, I've got two young kids, I've got a job and all the rest of it that, you know, a lot of my shooting, um, is done on the way to work or, you know, on the way back from work or on my lunch break. Um, I don't very often, you know, and at the weekends I want to be with my family. So I don't kind of very often kind of create, uh, spaces and certainly not recently to kind of just be able to go and just shoot, shoot, shoot. So then it's much more about kind of, grabbing the moments as they come, but then trying to make sure that I grab those moments in ways that reflect where I'm trying to take um, my photography. And I think I'm going to, I'm starting to be increasingly more selective about the sort of photographs, not necessarily that I take, but certainly then the photographs that I take forward after having taken them in terms of, is this, you know, is this what I'm trying to do with my photography? It's not necessarily that I'll delete the others, but I'll be just like, okay, right now, that's not what I'm trying to do with my, um, with my photography. Um, but you know, one of the reasons that I love street photography so much is that it is something that you can do in those, in those lost little moments during a busy day and a busy life. Um, and you know, often those moments that actually can be quite challenging to us when, you know, we're going to work or we're coming back from work or, you know, when you can kind of lose yourself and you can go into quite a negative space in your head, um, or you just stare kind of blankly at your phone, but actually those are the moments now, but because of photography, my, my head's up, my eyes are, you know, my eyes are open. I'm looking for those kind of those, those moments. Um, and then, you know, it is also absolutely about that just kind of sheer excitement of, of, of getting that moment where you can have like a completely mundane commute and you, you snapped a few rubbish pictures of people just walking past someone, something, and you're just like, oh, none of this is quite working. And then something will just happen on the way back and you'll be like, oh, cool. You know, I got that one <laughs> shot. So, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of both, but I, but I suppose, you know, I think how, uh, Harry Greer, he sort of, he he sort of talked he talked about kind of the pressing of the sh shutter as being a sort of kind of orgasmic moment, and I and I kind of whilst I don't want to kind of get too graphic, I get that in the sense that I think that when you see those moments come together, um, and you press the shutter and you capture that moment, it's a massive rush. Um, and I wouldn't get that. I didn't get that from you know I've had moments when I sort of shot landscapes and blah 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 and where you're kind of very much more sort of, um, measured in your approach and you, you plan, you know, if you want to be a great landscape photographer, I imagine you have to plan, you know, a huge amount and all the rest of it. But I definitely like that sort of, you know, that, that the huge rush of something totally unexpected happening and you being able to capture it. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of a bit of both. I, it's sort of a two part question here. Um, can you work on improving your photography between shooting? And if so, how? God, yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Yes. I mean, I think I actually, you know, like, like an awful lot of things in life, I think you sometimes become better in the moments when you're not doing them. I actually, you know, on the one hand, absolutely. I agree. The reason that I have become kind of a, a, a photographer that I am comfortable with, I want to get better every day, but you know, I'm happy with the level I'm at at the moment and, and, and that, uh, you know, kind of people enjoy my work, which is really nice. Uh, one of the reasons is because I've taken so many bloody photos and you only need to ask my wife about that because she will, she will attest to that with kind of like a, kind of a, a roll of the eyes. So of course you need to, but I also think that like anything, you can just keep on shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. And if you're not, but this comes back to intentionality. If you're just shooting and you're not thinking about what you're trying to do with it, then the, the likelihood is that you won't get better or you may actually even end up taking yourself. And I think I've been guilty of this, taking myself in directions that I didn't even really want to go with my photography because I'm just shooting. Um, and, and then it's, you know, in the last year or two, it's when I've actually, in a way, yes, I still kind of, I shoot every day, but I actually, I take far fewer photos now than I ever did. And I think far more about my photography. I mean, in the end, like before I used to kind of just take loads of photos, but not think about photography. And now I take fewer photos, but I think about photography all the time. It's like, I just kind of, <laughs> like, oh my God, like, well, maybe I could do that. Or maybe I should, you know, or maybe I should explore that photographer or I kind of hear someone referencing that, but like, oh, I'll look that up and blah, blah, you know, but I think that has made me a vastly much kind of I've better photographer. My photography has gone forward so much more because you've taken time to step back and reflect and to look at your photography and to look at your approaches and to look at, you know, you know, to look at your gear. I mean, like, I know we're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to talk about gear because it's not about the gear, but to a degree you also need to kind of, yeah, think about what sort of photography do you want to do and what's the right gear for doing that. And, um, and, and, and look at other, I mean, of course, look at other photographers. I mean, buying photo books has been, you know, the single, and it, you know, it's cliched and several, so many people have said it, but it's so, it's such a brilliant way to become a better photographer and get to own these extraordinary objects, which you can come back to and enjoy over and over again. So, yeah, I mean, but it's, you know, I've also found that with language learning in the sense that, um, you know, I've been like the last five years trying to learn Swedish and there've been times when I've been speaking a lot of Swedish and just feeling like it's not getting any better. And I'm tired um, because maybe I'm stressed from work and I kind of, I can't get my, you know, I can't get my shit together and I can't get my head together. And I just feel like, Oh my God, my Swedish is going backwards. And then I might, you know, go away and, and, and not talk Swedish for a week, two weeks because I'm hanging out with kind of English speaking friends or, or whatever and just not think about it. Or you might just, I might get some rest. Blah, blah, blah. And I suddenly come back and I actually find that my Swedish has gone let, kind of forwards again, because I've just given, given myself a bit of a break. Um, so I think that that's really important that you kind of, that you give your, your kind of creative muscles a break kind of sometimes and, 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 and just, you know, allow them to recover, allow yourself to take a breath, to look at what you're trying to do with your photography. Um, and, and, and to then kind of, yeah, be more intentional, be more thoughtful about where you take it next. Yeah. I, I think, um, probably the biggest mistake being made by uh, aspiring photographers and pretty much any aspiring um, creative is just not uh, not taking the time to develop taste. And you, you mentioning photo books, I think, is the perfect example of that. People should be surrounding themselves with stuff that's exciting. There's a really great quote I saw the other day, which said that if you surround yourself, I uh, say, so if you're um, around five confident people, you become the sixth. If you're around five intelligent people, you become the sixth. And if you're around five immature people, you become the sixth. And I think 
as much as uh, being around the people has that influence, also being around the work and, you know, curating your social media feeds to only show you stuff that inspires you and uh, buying photo books, having prints, having things that, that push your subconscious in the direction that you want your conscious thought to go makes the biggest difference. Definitely, definitely. And, and can be, I think it's really easy to think that it's sort of somehow not, it's not exciting. Um, that side of it, that's the sort of the kind of the, the, the boring side of it. But I, and, and I, I suspect that subconsciously, that's probably what I thought for a long time when I was just thinking, you know, I'm just going to teach myself by clicking away and clicking away and, you know, and, and, you know, and then critiquing, of course, my own photos and saying that didn't work and that did work and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, getting feedback from people and friends and, and other people about what they liked and what they didn't. But, but I kind of, the rest of it all just felt a bit sort of extraneous, a bit like, oh, I didn't need to do that. But actually, it's so exciting discovering the power of, of, of photography, of other people's photography and realizing that, well, okay, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that. But actually, that, that if you are, if you are, you know, if you are devoted enough, but it, and also if you are analytical enough to be able to sort of unpick how they have created that image and that you also then have the technical skills. And I think that's where the kind of shooting thousands of pictures does help because you need to have that kind of that technical foundation to be able to then turn what you see in an image, either someone else's image or the image that's in front of you into reality. But, but actually to kind of be able to kind of, to be able to sort of convert, um, what to, to be able to sort of kind of process what you see in other people's work and let that inform your own work. I think that's incredibly exciting. And, you know, photo books go, I, you know, that, that I almost get like kind of that kind of a, a sort of a feeling of you, your stomach kind of almost drops a little bit. Sometimes you just get that kind of a whew, feeling when you look at other people's work and, and part of it is like, you know, crap, I'd never be able to take that photo. It's just, it's too brilliant. But the other part of it is just the excitement of the possibilities of photography and, and, and opening yourself up to that. And also, as you say, taste, establishing what for you as a photographer you're trying to achieve, um, is really important. And that I think also that, but then that can be a danger because if you look at, you know, you, you can look at, if you, there's so many images we can look at these days and, you know, I can look at a, a, an in, some incredible landscape photography and be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then a tiny part of you is like, right, I want to go and shoot a, a fantastic landscape photograph. And you're like, hang on, but actually that's, that's something completely, that's not what I'm trying to do. And that it's taking yeah. more time to just be like, okay, that's not my thing. It's amazing. I love it, but it's not my thing. My thing is trying to get good at this more, you know, whatever candid kind of, reportage, documentary, street, whatever you want to call it, style. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I think, you know, but you mentioned the word mature or immaturity. And I think, you know, there is a degree to which maturity is important. And I don't think, yeah. you know, that's necessarily at all to do with age. Um, I think it's a lot to do with your sort of photographic journey and, and, and also putting away things like caring too much about likes um, and, a, you know, kind of, recognition on 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 social media and all the rest of it because once you actually can put that to bed to some degree then i think you feel much freer to explore where you want your phot photography to take you mm -hmm. i've got two more relatively broad questions for you um, and then I'll, I'll let you go i really do appreciate you taking the time to do this my first question is like in a very broad sense what is the emotional message of your work Oof, gosh. Um, I think again, I think it's probably changed. Um, I think that, um, 
I think that um, one of the reasons that I one of the reasons that I started um, doing more street photography was partly, was partly because I was you know, street photography is not always in urban spaces, but it often is. And I was living in you know urban spaces, um, and I'm not a um, I'm not actually lots of street photographers love the kind of energy and buzz of cities. And that's actually not something that I necessarily have. I've often felt quite kind of isolated in urban spaces and found them quite melancholic places. And I think that probably for a long time, um, my kind of photography was probably reflecting quite strongly, um, my emotional state in, um, in urban spaces. And I think that that's still the case. And then you can kind of look at the pictures I've taken of my kids when I probably feel like I'm in a safer environment and they probably, they probably come across as sort of more vibrant and upbeat in terms of the sort of the emotional tone of them. Um, I think more recently I've, I've been trying to sort of explore, um, tackling kind of trying to explore sort of more positivity in my uh, images and trying to kind of capture sort of more sort of dynamism in, in, in the sort of kind of humanity and trying to capture a lot of the, a lot of the energy that I'm increasingly seeing and also using photography as a way to transform my own relationship to the way that, um, I see the world. Because if we, if we, if we say that what we photograph reflects who we are or how we feel, then obviously as we change how we feel, then our photography is likely to change. But I also wonder whether one can, to a degree, change how one feels by changing the style of one's photography. And that's something that I'm kind of exploring a little bit at the moment to try and, you know, to, 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 to kind of force myself into a sort of, into a more kind of energetic and positive and dynamic view of, um, of the world and, and the reality that we live in. So I think that kind of, yeah, I'm on a bit of a journey in terms of the sort of the emotional impact I want um, things to uh, my work to convey. Convey, but uh, but but my work is all about people um, and hum- humans and humans in humans in an environment, um, and that I think was always going to kind of be very central to my work um, and how they relate to the environment they're in, even if they're not aware that they're relating to that environment in, in that way. So that is kind of yeah, that's a very big part of it for me. And my last question, what do you think your worst habit is as a photographer? Oh, yo, 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 yo. Worst habit as a photographer. Um, um, I've got, I feel like I've got so many. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, I think, you know, actually, do you know what, going back, I think probably one of my worst habits as a photographer, and I think it's something that I'm getting better at is, um, is I'm taking fewer photos. Um, so, um, now I'm taking, I used to take loads and loads of photos, style all over the place. And it, and it really, it really bothered me. Um, cause I couldn't, I couldn't feel like I could settle on a style. And I think that's something that's really, and an, an kind of frustrated me as a photographer kind of really since I started. Um, and I feel like I'm slowly now getting better at that, that I'm, I'm being much more selective about what I shoot, how I shoot it. Um, and I remember listening to an interview with Joshua K. Jackson and, and someone asking this question, like, you know, how do you develop a style? And he, you know, he just said, um, you know, go out and, and shoot and you'll find the style developing. And I, I kind of, I, I, I couldn't and I wouldn't believe him on that. I was like, no, you have to really think about it. But actually, in a funny way, I think that's more, I is what I'm doing at the moment. I'm kind of just going out and shooting, but I'm more comfortable with just instinctively following my instincts as a photographer and not trying to copy other people. So maybe, yeah, maybe that was my worst in this, in this instance. 
in my worst trait, but I've got better at it, which hopefully is a sign of, of some improvement. My other worst habit as a photographer, which I'm totally cured of now and I'm really proud of, is vignetting. I used to vignette the crap out of everything. <laughs> and I now don't. And I'm really proud. I had a long conversation with my, with my photographic guru, um, a friend of mine, one of the people who really inspired me to get into photography. He was like, Johnny, please, please stop putting vignette on all your photos. And I, got, I wrote back to him and I was like, I'm sorry, Chris, that vignetting is just part of, it's part of my photography and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. So we're not going to talk about this any further. And about three months later, literally, and this is probably only about six months ago, maybe not even that long, about three months later, I woke up in the morning. I literally woke up one morning and was like, I'm not going to vignette anymore. And I haven't. I've vignetted like two pictures since then. And I'm really proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We need to make sure that everyone knows where they can find your heavily vignetted work. So (laughs) your, your website, your social media links, where can people find you? Yeah, so I've got um, I've got two. Um, so the person who say you shouldn't be kind of a slave to Instagram. I've got two Instagram um, feeds. One is Johnny Hog Photog, um, and that used to be where I put everything, um, and now is more where I put kind of my personal stuff. So it's, I'm kind of afraid I've got quite a lot of pictures of my kids and all the rest of it. Um, but I felt a bit uncomfortable with this kind of constant blending of street and my kids and street and my kids. So I've now started a new feed where it's more, you know, much more kind of intentionally curated, but it's still has got been quite retro retrospective because I started with posting photos that I took, you know, a year, two years ago and I'm kind of building back. But that's called These Streets of Hours. Um and that's also on Instagram. And then you can also find, I think, uh on my Instagram a link to my website, which is Johnny Hogg Photography. Um so please do check it out if you get a chance. I'll be thrilled. Amazing. Thank you so much for this incredibly insightful conversation. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege to be um, to be asked to, to be on, and I hope I have made some sense at some point.